Happening now, we want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. It is June 13th, 2018, and this is episode number 98 of the EdTech Situation Room. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Assistant Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And joining me as always is my co-host, Dr. Wes Fryer. Good evening, Wes. How are you tonight? Good evening, Jason. I'm excited to <clears throat> be able to join tonight from Frisco, Texas, from our cousin's house. And uh, we're down here to go to a wedding, and I'm actually going to duck away to Austin tomorrow to the Learning Festival, which used to be iPad Palooza, and exciting to get to uh, join on the show. So glad that you have established our credibility yet again with the the map whose projection name we will reveal at some future date, but perhaps we'll give a special prize to the, the cartographer who will be able to name it. It is not the Mercator projection. My small knowledge will you know, allow us to say that. So I am the director of technology at the Cassidy School, and uh, boy, excited to talk about a, a pretty steep lineup of uh, links tonight. Absolutely so. And for those of you that are joining us for the first time tonight, uh, live by YouTube, or if you're listening to this podcast later on your favorite podcatcher, our notes for every episode are located at our website, uh, edtechsr.com, where you can see not only the topics we talk about each week, but a direct link to all the articles we refer to in making this delightful conversation about educational technology. And I'm going to go ahead and start us off tonight because there is um, a news we've been talking about for several, well, months, really, and it's come to fruition this past Monday. Um, uh, net neutrality is officially dead. So as of Monday, net neutrality is no longer something supported by the FCC. It had been eliminated by an earlier vote, and now the rules that protected so-called net neutrality have uh, been eliminated. And so we refer to a couple of articles that I think are worth both are worth your time, uh, the CNN article on the topic and then also a Washington Post uh, article on the topic. And to be super clear, for those of you that are unaware of the net neutrality debate, net neutrality is the notion that every bit is the same, whether it's commercially based or not, which means that in a world where there are you know gazillions of bits running around in any given second, it is not considered to be a good idea to preference one over the other. So for example, if a one company decides to give preference to a particular bit because it has content that someone else paid them to prioritize, we consider that a violation of so-called net neutrality. And so those rules, which it's a long story, but were solidified, or net neutrality were solidified under the Obama administration, were reversed under the Trump administration, FCC, and now we no longer have net neutrality uh, protections from the federal government. Now, I have to say a number of states are either debating or have gone forward with a series of protections for net neutrality. For example, my home state, Montana, a big sky country has decided via the governor's office that government contracts will only be issued to companies that promise to protect net neutrality. And in a state like Montana, where we have relatively few broadband, broadband vendors, that will make a big difference, I think, to protect it in, you know, our relatively uh, a small state, uh, at least population, small state, third largest, or I'm sorry, fourth largest state in the United States uh, area-wise. Um, but it, it's an important topic for schools, I think, and I think we can have a brief conversation to follow up with our many previous conversations about what that means now. So first, Wes, did you notice at uh, 12.01 a.m. on Monday morning that your Internet slowed down dramatically except for advertisements on YouTube? 
I did not. Uh, and I think as we've talked about on the show before, um, we will probably not see dramatic, uh, actions like that by the telecoms because that would lead to a backlash, which they do not want. They want to, uh, you know, continue to tell us that this is going to be good for the consumer, um, maybe even good for competition, whatever. They'll just say, good, good, good. Um, and if they were to do something like that, that would, you know, dramatically hurt our Netflix watching or something like that, you know, that might actually lead to a backlash. So I think right. we're going to see things happen slowly. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't drop this article in, but I think AT&T actually just did another rate hike on their unlimited, uh, you know, data plans. And so kind of a gradual, you know, warming of, uh, the proverbial frog in the, in the pot. Um, so I, I did not. And, um, I'm dropping a couple articles in here as well about mergers. Um, this one, this first one is, uh, an Ars Technica article. Trump administration fails to block AT&T Time Warner, uh, merger. And, and I actually, I actually agree with what the judge said in this case, that the, the government had just made a real Poor case. I think a lot of this had to do with Trump's personal, you know, not not liking uh, CNN and um, the that that media empire. Um, but the other one I'm dropping in, which is also from ours. Uh, I think these are both today. Uh, says Comcast offers 65 billion for Fox as government won't stop merger. So <clears throat> what we're continuing to see, and we'll we'll talk about you know the the educational implications of this, um, is the the big fish, you know, continuing to get bigger and basically lobbyists and, and corporations being able to have their way with politicians, right. with the laws. And so I think it remains to be seen, um, you know, what the follow of this is. We, I think we're both, you know, pretty strong advocates of competition. We're T-Mobile uh, families uh, and users uh, enjoy the, the benefits of having that, that competitive uh, network out there. Um, but, you know, one of the things T-Mobile has said with its uh, Sprint merger, which is expected to go through, is that they need to merge, you know, in order to compete um, with Verizon and AT&T. So I think that this is sad, but I also think that it is not right for for us to be able to have a flip-flop with a government administration. In other words, Congress, as we've talked about, has not acted for net neutrality. They haven't codified that in U.S. law. And so appointed officials at the FCC um, have been left to make these really, you know, big kinds of determinations like, are you a Title II or not? And, you know, so we have the flip-flop. So what I would hope is that we would have congressional action. I'm actually very cynical and pessimistic about it. Until we have changes in campaign finance reform, I don't think we're going to, you know, stop the AT&Ts and the Comcast and the others um, probably from from being able to get their way uh, with legislation, uh, or in this case, it's not legislation, it's with, you know, policies. But I'm, I, I don't think it, it bodes well for the internet and for schools, but I also don't right. think we're going to see something dramatic, dramatically change, um, you know, this next school year or, or maybe even for a while. Right. Well, that's the complication of this issue is that it's not as clear cut as your Netflix slows down. Right. And one of the reasons why that's the case is because if there was an ability for Netflix to make things faster to you, I think they would invest in the money to do so. I think the, the biggest risk here are startups that are providing new and interesting and nuanced ways of, of, of accessing data on the Internet. And then I want to point out one really interesting thing in the Washington Post article uh, that talks about what are the kinds of things that could happen with net neutrality. And they're highlighting a um, 
um, uh, company that's doing discounts on internet services um, in in exchange for you allowing the company to utilize your data and surfing habits to help deliver advertising and build profiles on you. And in this era of you know what I'm calling you know the, the technology correction, where privacy is becoming uh, a greater issue for end users, I think people might be more leery of that than they were just a, a, a short time ago. But I think we still have to be careful that. You know, nothing is uh, nothing is worth a five dollar discount a month if it violates your privacy or it utilizes your data in an appropriate way. And I think that's something that we we need to be cognizant of. That don't exchange your data for a discount. And I think that is the number one issue that I do think is really a big deal. And that is that. And I don't know whether this was a law or whether this was just a judge's ruling or what, but you know, ISPs are now able to take any of our data. I think this is what you just said, right? That IS, from the privacy standpoint, right. they, they can take our data and they can resell it and they can do whatever they want to with it. Um, that is an egregious violation of privacy. And th- this is a major digital citizenship issue. I think we need to all grapple with this in schools. And part of this is how do we, how do we help students and then consumers writ large to care about this um, because it really, it really is a, a big deal. And I don't know if you've been a part at all, Jason, of, uh, of any kind of, um, you know, litigation discovery or anything like that with regard to email. Um, it can be kind of startling, even if you're not a subject of that to just see and think about what it means for every single message, for instance, that you've sent on your school network you know, to suddenly be, you know, in a courtroom, you know, in front of different lawyers or, or, you know, maybe it's in the newspaper too, but, you know, I think a lot of us continue to have solace in this idea that, oh, and I'm not, I'm not a criminal. I'm not doing something illegal. I don't have anything to hide. Um, but all of us do have, um, a valid right to privacy. And the fact that ISPs have so much power that we have such little power as consumers, we really need the new Ralph Nader, you know, the big big consumer advocate, you know, to be the digital Ralph Nader. Perhaps this is your role, Jason. Post-doctorate, you can become (laughs) the digital Ralph Nader for the the country. But seriously, we need really strong um, advocacy that will, will lead to changes in the law and that will lead to protections of privacy because absent... Uh, essentially a populist uprising and the um, using the tools of democracy to uh, affect change, you know, corporations are going to continue to want to profit off of our money or, or off our money, of course, off of our data. Uh, data really is, you know, the goal. It's the, the gold rush of, of the 21st century. And certainly there are good trade-offs and we've talked about that on the show with Google and, and other companies. I'm, I'm pretty happy to have this uh, exchange of, of being able to enjoy free services for uh, the fact that they're going to monetize my information in some ways. But I think there are, there are limits to, there should be limits to, to that kind of a, a Faustian bargain. And um, right. we need to, be thinking as a society, as Europe is with the, the GDPR, the general data protection regulation, I can say that, um, you know, they're ahead of us. And, and I think that we need to, we need to have that digital Ralph Nader to, to step up. And I don't know that that person's emerged yet. So there you go. There's your niche post post doctorate. <laughs> E-Nader in the house. So, 
Um, yeah, and, and you know, I, I guess the, the other piece of this that I would note, and then we can jump to, to maybe less philosophical things, is pay attention, right? Like, this is a, a critical issue. And one of the things that I think is true, and we're not a politics podcast, so we're not going to get into the, the, uh, the you know, some of the, the nitpicky about why this is the case, but there's a lot of hot air in, in the news right now, right? And the, the thing about having, a, I guess, maybe the term I'll use tonight is a colorful president is that there is a lot of time spent on serious news programs um, related to coverage of the Trump administration. And don't let that um, diminish your view of some of the more subtle things going on in your local state or federal government. And especially as they relate to education, you know, some, some important subtleties may be happening that you know, the air gets sucked out of the room because of, again, major world events that have importance, but not 75% of the news importance. The, uh, you know, Monday happened to be the day that net neutrality officially died. It was also the day that they were starting to announce uh, things related to the North Korea United States summit. And um, it was pretty, pretty hard pressed to find, uh, especially in the first two or three pages of a newspaper or the first 15 minutes of a, a radio or, or television news program, anything ex except coverage on that summit, whether it was substantive or not. So, again, pay attention. And, and especially if you're teaching um, uh, English language arts, social studies, government, um, uh, current events, any of these, you know, uh, helping your students pay attention to these issues and, and, and bringing them for discussion in your classroom, whether you have an opinion about it or not, I, I think is important. It's part of the, the nature of building a democracy as, as a, a primary goal of school. So please, please, please uh, keep this in mind. So luckily, the rest of the links today, we'll probably jump down a, a privacy data hole a little bit because that's that's also a lot in the news. But I, I do want to highlight some more kind of techie kind of stuff this week, too, which is a lot of interesting things going on. I want to start with Chrome OS and Chromebooks. And I was showing Wes before the show. I mentioned this at the end of the show last week, but... Um, I'm a ridiculous human being, and I um, decided that I the, the discounts that were going on, which, are, by the way, are still going on for the basic level Pixel Book, the Generation 3 of the, the Chrome um, uh, uh, Chromebook Pixel, uh, I did end up picking up one at a Best Buy um, on Sunday, and it's, it's just a couple of days old for me, but I can say it's easily the nicest piece of hardware I've ever owned, and the... Um, the functionality of the device is really quite supreme. And I'll have a more extensive review here in a couple of weeks. And Wes and I are also talking about sometime in July or August having our uh, much advertised yet to happen Chrome show where we're going to talk about Chrome OS and both the benefits and maybe the um, less than desirable uh, effects of the operating system, especially as it relates to education. But there are some interesting things that are going on right now in Chrome world that I think are worthy of um, notice. For example, uh, Chrome OS version 67 is now released, although I own now a, a, a you know Pixelbook, and it's yet to be released on the Pixelbook, so I would assume it's going to last for a couple of days. And they're starting to create some um, uh, interesting... Um, uh, uh, interesting bits on there. Uh, for example, they're moving towards a more um, flat design, um, and that's something that Google has been really uh, quite dominant with, is their, their so-called material design, which utilizes a flat design, as they call it. So it's less fake 3D elements, less skeuomorphism, which is the term that sometimes utilized uh, by Apple to talk about making a digital something look like the real something. So that's interesting. There's a split screen mode that's interesting. 
Um, there's also um, uh, an improved Bluetooth list, which is something that's becoming more important to me since there's no uh, nothing but USB-C ports on the Pixelbook. Um, so that that's something interesting to happen. And one of the things that I've been thinking about in regards to Chrome OS in particular is the notion that you don't hear about Chromebook OS releases because they are so subtle and in the background. So you may remember that earlier this year we covered the um, – April 2018 version of Windows 10 as it was released because it was a substantial upgrade in the operating system. Uh, Apple announced Mojave, the next version of, of, of OS 10, which is uh, 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 in many ways a, a, a step forward in the operating system. And you just don't hear much about these releases outside of the kind of Chromebook media, uh, uh, the nerdy folks that write about these things from a more technical standpoint. One of the reasons why is that it happens in the back Background. You don't see these updates, and there's a slow, subtle um, increase in features. And one of the ways that I've seen that most recently is I have what is now a four-year-old Chromebook. It's a Dell uh, 11 Chromebook. It's a plasticity um, uh, older Chromebook with a, a, an older Intel processor in it and four gigs of RAM. And a couple of weeks ago, I rebooted it up. It had been sitting in a, a box at, at my office at work for, for, for at least a couple of months untouched, and we needed it for a quick piece, and it was six or seven updates behind. And um, I used the older Chrome operating system as it was updating in the background, and it felt clunky to me. Like, it, it, it once it updated, it felt much newer and much more nuanced. And that's one of the things I love about Chromebooks is that they're constantly evolving in the background as long as it's supported. And new devices now are supported for six and a half years after release, which is a very long time, I think, for a laptop uh, uh, operating system to be guaranteed to be updated and, and provide new features. And you said, six, you said six years? Six and a half years now oh, wow. is the yeah, promise. Yeah, that, that, that's a big deal. That's a and, big deal. And, you know, and guaranteed on even some of these low-end devices that are sold as modern-day Chromebooks. But I want to highlight that. And there are interesting things in there that, uh, um, you know, you know uh, subtle things like new, uh, new zipping uh, features in the Files app and that sort of thing. But just to mention that to start with. The more interesting pieces, however, um, a couple of, 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 of new things this week. Uh, there is a new dictation mode that's appearing in the so-called Canary channel. Uh, you can set, if you have control over your Chromebook, it's not managed by someone else like your IT director, you can set your device to the Canary uh, channel, which is the kind of dangerous, almost broken future version of Chrome OS that they're developing. It's often updated daily. Um, and there's a now a, a voice-to-text feature, dictation feature, that's going to be part of the Chrome operating system. And early reviews suggest that it's fairly stable and already pretty polished, even though this is probably months away from rolling out. And, Wes, I know you, um, on iOS devices, like to use the dictation feature to send things like emails and text messages. Does that change? Well, not that you have a negative view of Chromebooks like you, Chromebook haters. Um, does that, is that, is that, is that something that would tempt you to spend more time on the Chrome operating system? Well, I mean, not not that specifically. I mean, the biggest things that, that tempt me with Chrome are, are the same things that have, have been a draw forever. You know, booting in eight seconds, virtually no malware and security issues, um, the ease with which it can be supported both as a home user, you know, and at school as an IT director. So uh, I don't know how many folks listening to this podcast are their families 
you know, IT director, but you know, it, uh, I helped one of our daughters update her laptop and she was still running Mac OS Yosemite, which is like three versions back. And I just felt like the, the terrible father there, but you know, with Chrome, that's not going to be a, a problem because you're, you're going to have, you know, auto updates. They're going to happen so quickly. So I think the dictation, the, the dictation is definitely uh, a big thing. Um, we have been, we have been looking at school at, um, uh, read write for Google. It's a set of tools that una- enable a whole host of accessibility options from, you know, yes, being able to dictate, but being able to have a visual dictionary, um, you know, just in, in terms of, of students needing, needing help with, uh, with English or, um, you know, just wanting to, wanting to use speech to text and being able, we tend to think today still, I think, and be sort of biased towards keyboarding. And I think keyboarding still is important. Uh, but we shouldn't make the mistake of saying to young kids everywhere, you just gotta get your keyboarding perfect because that's the only way you're gonna ever, you know, get content onto one of these things. I mean, it's not. We're, we're gonna have neural brain implants, you know, <laughs> in the next 20 years, but, you know, in the next five to 10, uh, the speech to text is just gonna continue to grow by leaps and bounds. So I definitely think this is a, a place that Google is continuing to excel and to stand out. Um, I'm really excited. My wife is way, waving on the show there. Um, I, one of the other articles you dropped into that series uh, was about Windows 10. Uh, this is 9 to 5 Google uh, on June 13th. Google appears to be working on Windows 10 certification for the Pixel Book. And think about that. I mean, if you needed to, you know, you can, you can do yes. it. Mac users have been able to do this for quite a, quite a while, originally not officially. And then, you know, boot, <coughs> boot camp was, was introduced by, by Apple. So you could officially, you know, boot in, boot into Windows. And so right. I, I think the landscape, uh, we, we are going from a security standpoint, we have to see change, right? I mean, our legacy, uh, operating systems are, are so buggy and so, uh, bloated. Uh, that when you look at what Google has been able to do with Chrome starting over, you know, this is what I think Microsoft is really trying to do with Windows is figure out how they're going to have a much cleaner um, and less security prone and easier to update right. version of itself. And so from a school standpoint, as a school tech director, um, we just we just rolled out a new phone system. I'll talk about that in Geeks of the Week. We just got to have a lot going on this summer. So we're not rolling out new laptops to faculty this summer. But early in the fall, hopefully, we're going to do that. And I want to take a more serious look than ever at Chromebooks, particularly uh, one of the groups that we refresh, and we do this on a five-year cycle, um, are our primary teachers that are our pre-K and kindergarten teachers. They actually don't plug their computers into projection. So they don't need AirPlay. And so it remains to be seen how all that plays out. But I just know, you know, it is Chrome is a revolution. I mean, it is truly a game changer um, to the point where and, and it's not to tell, you know, administrators, I don't need more help. We don't need more hands on deck in the in the IT office. We're not saying that. But I am going to say that with the same amount of resources uh, we can support, I can support you know, far more Chromebooks than I can any other operating system. And the fact that they're so reliable, they're cloud managed, and, and we'll, I think we will, we'll do a show about this in July and we will just pull out, pull out all the stops because if you are not looking at Chrome and if you are not weighing advantages um, to, to those kinds of management features, um, I, I think that you are are probably not doing your due diligence. I'm not saying everybody needs to change. I'm not saying that, you know, everyone 
you know, running a different platform is out to lunch. But I am saying if you have a chance to experience the difference, it's so jarring and dramatic. I, I don't think you, you can just ignore it. Um, because it is, it is a glimpse into the future of where we're going to be with enterprise computing and even home computing as the, you know, the home IT guy too. Absolutely. So, and, you know, I would say that there's a lot of exciting things about Chromebooks, but the, uh, uh, the availability now of, sorry, I've got a cat in my view here. Um, the availability of, of Android apps is really revolutionary in the Chrome platform. Um, there are, uh, there's now a method to install Linux-based apps, so full desktop-style apps for those that are a, l- a little more savvy and, and want to provide, you know, more enterprise-level software. Uh, there's potentially Windows apps and containers, which we've talked about in the past in the podcast. There's just a lot of exciting things I think happening in Chrome world, and you know, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear we're, we'll talk about this in greater detail later, but. You know, the other piece about this, too, is that um, what I like about some of the high-end Chrome hardware, and when I say high-end, like, obviously, I've purchased a nice Chromebook, but, um, you know, there is a possibility, I think, of, um, you know, we've talked about in, in previous weeks, uh, manufacturers like AP or a- HP and Acer are looking towards what I would call like a mid-range Chromebook. That's something that has something that's a little more robust than the lower-end Intel chips or the ARM chips and have uh, 8 gigabytes even 16 gigabytes of memory, those can be power user machines where you could have dozens of windows open, four or five applications with Android apps evolving pretty quickly. Those apps could be very functional. Um, I've been playing around with, um, I think it's Wii video on, on the Android platform, which is a very basic video editor. It's not bad on the Chromebook. Oh, especially it's with it's the come touch a long screen. way. I did a, a workshop on it last summer. It's come a long way. And that all those things together make these really um, not only consumption machines, where obviously that's that's that, that they have to be able to consume media, but the goal I think of of most technology integrators, including the two that that host this podcast, is we want kids to create with these devices too. And if that's the case, then I think Chromebooks can do that. And you know, so it, if you can match up a a, a a decent platform that saves or that you can get IT to buy into that's that's inex- relatively inexpensive and focuses more on the user experience than it does in having a, 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 a infinitely powerful uh, uh, like uh, workstation style laptop uh, for every student, which is just not necessary. I think there's something there. So, uh, but then again, I mean, to, to be super clear, I don't think either Wes or I would ever advocate for there's one device to rule them all. In fact, the best classrooms have a mix of mobile devices, tablet devices, laptop style devices, maybe even a couple of, of, of managed uh, Macs or PCs in the classroom that could do some more advanced things, but it's all those things together that make a magical mix for all. But Chromebooks are, are pretty exciting stuff. And I'd like to, to segue that, if we could, to the Apple articles, because um, since our last show, I did watch the full two-hour keynote um, on, on my Apple TV, Apple Events app. <clears throat> and uh, we've got a, a host of different articles here under the uh, sub, subtitle of uh, This Week in Apple Hand-Wringing. Um, two of the things quickly that I was excited about and hadn't picked up on until I watched the, the keynote and then found some articles uh, is that group FaceTime. So I don't know how you're going to have 32 people in a FaceTime chat, but that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I think, isn't Google Hangouts still limited to 10? I think it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> anyway, Apple tends to 
wait until they can do technology really, really well. And so I guess with bandwidth as well as processors and everything like that, they, they're at the point where feeling like multi, uh, more than two you know, people in a FaceTime uh, chat can happen. The other thing I'm really excited about as a science and space geek um, is the aerials from the International Space Station. So one of the coolest parts of Apple TV, um, if you opt for this on your screensaver, it's fun to connect it to your own personal photos. Or we've we've had experiments at school, you know, having a channel and, and having you know school school pictures come up. But they have these moving screensavers, which they call aerials, and I think one of them is Hong Kong. Um, but they've got, you know, glaciers, icebergs, different things. Well, they worked with the astronauts on the International Space Station, and it looks like some really stunning uh, images that they've put up. And so when you're not using your Apple TV, you just press menu to go back. You can default to this moving, you know, panorama. Um, and, you know, on that note, I'll say that, and I think I probably, maybe I said it last week, the screen that they had at that keynote was just, it was just stunning. Um, so those were a couple of small things that, that were exciting to me and, and I'm looking forward to. But overall, the, the biggest news is really not news yet. This is the developer conference, but they're talking about the Mac OS and the IO, and iOS. And they're talking about something called the, I think the substrata. And so they are, are not saying that that iOS is becoming macOS, but they are, from a development standpoint, making that substrata uh, much more similar so that developers are going to have an easier job porting their apps from one to the other. And I would suspect that Apple is taking some notes from where Google is going with its Chrome and its Android operating systems, which again is not from a, to a complete merge, but it definitely is for the, you know, more mature on the Chrome side, where if you have certain Chromebook platforms today, you can access the Google Play Store, you can run Android apps, and, and it's not perfect, but it's, there's a lot of really good things with the smartphone ecosystem in terms of app functionality, uh, I think sandboxing, the ways that things are contained, and, and just also from a developer standpoint, it's going to vary. It's not going to be you know, sensible in, ev- in every case. But I think that is significant, and it's going to be very interesting, especially to see you know, what, if anything, Apple does with its hinge, with, with the touchscreen, you know, and if we end up having this kind of hybrid device that Apple, you know, eventually sells us with some kind of an ultra thin, you know, iPad-esque, you know, or it is an iPad that's the, that's the screen and you, you fold that off. So developer conferences, uh, perhaps tend to be a little less exciting to the consumer because hardware in this case wasn't, wasn't at all a part. Uh, doesn't tend to get the emphasis that it does at other events. But I think amidst those small announcements, the sub, substrata and, and the unifying of those base elements of iOS and macOS is a, is a pretty big deal for everybody. Absolutely so. And and I would also note that I, I find it very exciting, this notion that there could be a an easy way for developers to take their iOS applications and put it on Mac. I think the notion of, in fact, that's one of the reasons why I, I was a little sad that, that I, at least uh, as a, from a mobile standpoint, I use an iMac at work. But uh, the App Store on, on the Mac, I think, is a revelation when it comes to providing you access to 
uh, uh, what I would call like little unitasker apps, right? Like things that do one thing really well. There's a couple apps, a couple of them that I purchased because the dollar or two I paid for them was worth it uh, knowing, seeing other people reviewing the app and telling me it was worth it. But things that are, you know, image resizers that instantly t- turns it into a certain size or uh, image size decreasers or um, uh, 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 particular notepad apps or FTP apps or things that I can know and trust. And when I go on to or when I uh, refresh a Mac, as I do tend to do every six to eight months with every machine I own, just, you know, wipe the operating system and start over again. It's easy for me to go into that app store and say, here's all the apps I've downloaded and purchased in the past. You know, download this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and then my app comes back into place. And um, it's, uh, you know, I would say that the Android apps on the Chrome OS is, is a little clunky still. It's it's better on the Google platforms than they are on some of the other manufacturers' platforms because Google's, I think, spent more development time, obviously, on their own hardware um, when they were uh, rolling out Android apps. But the fact that you get access to all these, like, interesting little apps that do little one, one and two-off things, I think is really great. And in fact, on Microsoft that has an app store that works the same way now on Windows 10, that's also great. It's just a shame there's not a whole lot of apps in the Windows 10 uh, store in comparison to the iOS app store or the Android uh, uh, Play Store, but um, still a, a great move on the part of Apple. Um, and I would like to mention one other article that I threw in about that, that um, the TechCrunch, I believe, was the, the onus of the article. I'm sorry, it was Philip Elmore DeWitt uh, that noted on the day of the releases last week that, that he talked to some developers, you know, basically at the food uh, court uh, to talk about. And, and, and he felt that the developers' response to these things was pretty meh. And it, it may be so, but, uh, you know, I, I felt some life in Apple last week. I think hardware will make more of a difference than software this year. But I thought there was a lot of exciting things, interesting things in those announcements. I'll, I'll throw the glove down to you, Jason, as well as anyone else listening, to, to try and keep me in the Android fold because I was very energized by what I saw with iOS. I am extremely frustrated at not being able to update my operating system. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, if I do uh, stick with an Android phone, my next iteration hopefully is, is going to be stock Android with either Pixel or something that is, is upgradable and, and something that apparently, and I, I guess the Pixel for sure, Google's going to do that. There's some question about other, other kinds of platforms, but I right. was very energized and, um, it's just, you know, the app, Apple, <laughs> again, people want to count them out and just, it, it, I'm, I'm very, very glad to have had so much experience with Android. And I'm not, I'm not saying for sure that I'm, I'm walking away from the platform, but, um, you know, Apple has, has and continues to, to do some wonderful, um, hardware and software and put those together and, and Google with the pixel, both Chromebook that you're experiencing now, as well yep. as with the, the pixel phones is, is recognizing, I think the benefits of controlling hardware as well as software and being able to, to really shape that experience. Right. So I, uh, I hope that, I hope that we're going to find a way in the Android ecosystem to escape the tyranny of the uh, ISPs that are putting their bloatware and their garbage on the phone that just is freaking ridiculous to me. And then also this idea that, you know, the, the Motorola folks are going to say, uh, no, we think you'll just stick with, you know, that two, two, two operating systems old version. I just, it, it's very maddening. And I guess I'm spoiled as an iOS user 
I mean, usually I would wait a little bit before upgrading, especially lately that there's been some different issues with them, you know, but being able to get the, the latest operating system, like you said, with Chrome, you know, sometimes that can breathe new life into your device. And um, anyway, it's, you know, Apple, Apple is continuing to innovate. And I predict, I'll, I'll, I'll go on the show saying this, I predict that in the next year or so, say or so, you know, we're going to see a, a dramatic innovation from Apple that is going that that is that is going to be a a big difference from what they're doing now with the iPad line and the and the MacBook um, MacBook Pro line. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna see them innovate in some way, and per, and perhaps that's going to be copying Service Book Hinge, you know, and that kind of a of a Microsoft model, um, or it's going to be something more convertible. But I don't think Apple is just going to sit still and not innovate more in yep. in the platform space, and so that's going to be. That's going to be exciting. So. Absolutely. So, okay, let's see here. Um, let's let's quickly talk about, to balance things out, uh, a couple of interesting things on the Windows side. Uh, the first one is that uh, Microsoft is apparently redesigning the so-called uh, Surface um, or Surface Pro, uh, which is their, their kind of tablet convertible that seems to be the, the crux of most of their uh, most exciting hardware that Microsoft's producing, and they will be releasing a new design in 2019. And I know a lot of very happy Surface owners. Um, I know a Surface owner or two that's not uh, totally thrilled, but generally speaking, the, the folks that I know that are service owners are uh, pretty happy folks, and so I'm hoping that Microsoft can continue to evolve that product. Um, the one frustration I had with as, as a Surface user, and I was uh, one very briefly, was that, um, and I, I, I have uh, access to a Surface book at work, but um, the, uh, the, the actual Surface tablet, um, it would never work on my lap. That was the only thing that, that, that stopped me from wanting to, that as a daily carry is that I'm sometimes in, um, you know, away from my desk enough that having access to a, um, you know, something that can sit comfortably on my lap as I am on an airplane or, um, you know, quickly typing thing at an airport and that sort of thing has, has been piece there. But, uh, interesting things happening there. And then the other thing I wanted to point out is that, um, it feels like uh, Microsoft's starting to put some attention into um, the Office platform again. Um, obviously, they've been moving pretty heavily towards web-based applications, um, and that's what is, is chiefly available che or cheaply at schools now is the so-called Office 365 on the web, which has a lot of functionality to it. But I am excited to see Microsoft move in the direction to where they're starting to reconsider their design um, and 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 make it a more flat design, which is a design uh, element that I think is very positive. And I will tell you, having accessed it a couple of times this week, I do have access to Android uh, Microsoft Ops apps on my Chromebook uh, or my Pixelbook, but uh, the web-based Word and web-based Excel, both of which I had an opportunity to use in context of work this week, um, look pretty great on the Pixelbook. And so they can continue to work on that. I think that's a very positive thing. Do Excel users run into the same kinds of issues opening up an Excel document on 365 in the cloud as they do Google Sheets on the cloud? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I think they, they run into the same stuff. And that's where, they, I mean, I... They, I do, they do or don't? They do not. Uh, so, the, the, to, so to make it clear, the Office, through, the Office Excel is, is better at that than that Sheets on, on, on the Google piece. Now, I have to say, 
Um, I exclusively use Sheets at work, um, and maybe 99% of the time use Google Sheets at work as opposed to either desktop or Office Excel because I'm starting to become uh, kind of proficient at doing the same kind of advanced stuff that I, I, I used to do in Excel on the desktop application. It's not quite, well, actually, it's not even close to the desktop version, right, because the super number crunching stuff, like, for example, the data analysis stuff that you can do in Excel, the desktop version of Excel, the web-based version is not even close. But um, but I feel like they're making progress there. And I have actually a lot of teacher friends and colleagues that are in Office 365 districts uh, that maybe uh, briefly flirted with Google Drive and, and the Office Suite or the, the G Suite for schools. Um, and then an IT director came in that was more comfortable with the Microsoft platform. I would say that I'm getting... Uh, a lot of indication that those that, that preferred Google before are starting to find some parity with the web-based versions of Excel, PowerPoint, and Word. But I think some design, uh, some design precepts to add a simple interface to that. I think one of the things that was an early Microsoft goal was to make it look like the desktop apps as much as possible. And, and there's some merit to that, I think, uh, when people are transitioning from the desktop app to the web-based app. But a flatter design, a simpler design, probably a faster design, too, um, if you start to measure some of the uh, ways that you can objectively measure the speed of web pages, a simpler design there is going to be better. So um, it appears that those uh, uh, particular platforms are evolving. Quick sidebar on that. Um, I have not been eager and still I'm not eager <clears throat> to support both 365 as well as Google. You know, we've been at Google school for seven or eight years. I should know that exact number. But... <laughs> Microsoft is the gateway drug for, or sorry, Minecraft is yeah. Microsoft's gateway drug for yep. schools. And that is going to be partially successful for us this summer. Um, three years ago when I came to our school, uh, one of the things I was able to uh, purchase was licenses for Microsoft EDU just as they were being sold to Microsoft and, and before that was discontinued. And so we've, we've used those licenses for the last three years uh, knowing that, you know, we're at version 1.8 or whatever, and, you know, we're being left by the, the new innovations and iterations. And so we're having right. some staffing changes and, and our new, uh, makerspace and middle school computer teacher is really on fire for the new Minecraft, uh, education version. And so what that is going, I think, to, to push us to do this summer is to go ahead and activate that 365 uh, free tier. Um, and then, you know, we're, we have to do that in order to um, hand out the, the Minecraft EDU licenses to students. So anyway, I'm going to have a little bit more knowledge about that. And that's why I was asking the Excel question, um, because theoretically, we could, you know, offer um, teachers the, the opportunity to, to work in that 365 cloud environment and not incur any additional costs because that free tier that just gives you the cloud-based versions, not the downloadable client versions, <clears throat> is entirely free for Microsoft at this point. So anyway, it's it's going to be interesting. I, you know, what I'm most interested in for all of that is just for Minecraft education and and seeing that happen. But um, right. it's uh, we're 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 perhaps like some other schools and not not having been super excited to jump on the annual subscription train with right. with Adobe with Microsoft you know with so many different companies and you know at some point that train's left the station and from a security standpoint you simply can't continue to run these older license versions of the software that you have you're going to have to step up and move forward with some licensing so 
Yep, absolutely. Anyway, so that was a long sidebar. Um, oh, by the way, uh, kind of an update related to that Adobe piece. I did get Adobe Spark added to our domain, oh. uh, the free Spark for education. Yes. And um, although I'm having a bizarre uh, problem right now, where the last three times over the last 48 hours I've tried to get into it, I get to the login page and none of the buttons work. So I don't know if that's me or or others. So I'm gonna have to ping some other people in our office tomorrow to find out that's happening. But uh, that Spark product, we reported back on the podcast three or four weeks ago that Adobe Spark K12 is now available for free to any K-12 institution, um, and you can set it up to where any um, either any address from your domain is automatically qualified for that, or we're going to do it in kind of a named license model to where we're going to start with just our teachers and administrators and give them access to the uh, web-based Adobe Spark platform. But that is an exciting piece and now set up at the Montana Joe Academy. Awesome. And I, I so appreciate you mentioning that, Jason, because that, that's an example of something that I totally want to do. I'll put that on our list of, of summer projects. We've got uh, a few more things to do than we've got uh, hands and hours for. But here, you know, here. Spark is just phenomenal. Uh, being able to create info pics, being able to create digital stories. Um, you know, Adobe has, in fact, they had a prominent part in the beginning of, uh, of the Apple keynote as well. So, they are continuing to be creative players. And yes, if you haven't had that installed at your school uh, and you're not in the position to do it yourself as IT right. director, you know, that's something to request and to say, Hey, I heard that we can do this free Adobe Spark for education and, and the doors that can open, um, particularly for users that are under 13, because that's been a challenge. And what Adobe has told uh, elementary teachers is, you know, formally, have your tech department create an email address and then you can use that address for your kids to log in. But now that they've got this whole education platform, my understanding is, you know, with, with Google apps and everything that single sign on, we'll just be able to, to use those Google accounts. And yep. And that's, that's, that's how it's definitely able to be set up. And so it's great. So, um, and you know, quite functional. Um, I, I prefer Canva slightly to Adobe spark because I started on Canva. Canva was my kind of my first web-based, um, uh, uh, I guess image manipulator or advanced graphic maker. But, um, now that it's the advanced version is available for free, um, for my context and my, my, my day job, I, I might, uh, end up moving that there. So, okay. Um, so is there, we, we're starting to run out of, uh, out of time here, Wes, is there anything else you want to jump on this week? Uh, just two fast ones. Um, FCC accused of spreading lies about DDoS hitting comment system. This was Ars Technica back on June the 6th, um, talking about net neutrality and all of that. Um, of course, John Oliver, not safe for work, uh, not safe to watch in front of the kids. So be careful if you watch that because they've got a screenshot. And I think he was uh, – actually, he, he's been the cause, his show, um, of just tons and tons of comments. And basically what it appears is that the FCC – you know, was saying that they were <clears throat> the subjects of a denial of service attack. And, and indeed it very well could have just been all the fans of John Oliver who, who were putting, you know, comments into the system. So anyway, I thought that was, that was interesting. And it's also, also sad because there's really not any good news on that front, for, in my opinion, as far as FCC and net neutrality, right. what's happening there. Um, but then the other real quick one uh, is just an Elon Musk uh, article. I think we had a couple, but this one was Ars Technica on June 6th. Muck Musk promises manufacturing, self-driving, battery breakthroughs, and profits. Um, and um, I think the, the profits one is probably really big. Um, the, the Model 3 is Tesla's 
um, general production model, which they have, you know, forecast is going to, is going to hit mainstream and, and really explode. And so in the article, they say that they are hitting uh, the production of 500 cars a day or 3,500 a week. And so he's predicting their profitability by quarter three, 2018, generating right. positive cash flow by quarter four. Now, Musk is also known for being very optimistic and, you know, saying that, Things are going to happen, and, and they're happen happen bigger. But there's a heck of a lot in this article uh, in terms of not only Tesla and the Model Three, but battery factories, autopilot. Um, Musk is somebody that we need our kids to know who he is and what he's doing. Um, I have listened to his biography, and much like Steve Jobs, um, you know, socially and on the family front, uh, perhaps not the the most successful uh, person ever, and and you know, person that, that we all should aspire to to be exactly like but on the entrepreneurial side and in terms right. of tackling grand challenges and being a real technology disruptor you know he is absolutely near the top of of the list um he's also interesting in his use of twitter and and i don't have this article in there but there have been people pretty upset at the way he uses his twitter power and um Anyway, it, it's he's certainly a, a, an interesting figure, but there's some important conversations to have with students about technologies, about the roles those are playing in society, uh, and the ways in which uh, things are being disrupted. So that's a, a good article with some eye, uh, eyebrow-raising uh, statements that he made at the recent shareholder meeting. Right. And I would also note that whatever progress Mr. Musk makes on Tesla batteries is going to eventually also make progress in other battery battery related items. And so um, there's been a long rumor that Apple, for example, has been working on some battery technology evolutions. I know Google has got a lot of money invested in in, in batteries. There's a lot of startup money in batteries. But um, I'm cheering uh, uh, Elon on not just because I would like to drive a Tesla, because I would, although I uh, my pay grade does not uh, afford me the luxuries of, of a Tesla. At the same time, the work they're doing there to make car batteries better is inevitably going to make a big difference as it relates to um, batteries in our everyday devices. And there's something we, we don't talk a lot about, uh, about it a lot here on the podcast, but one of the things that, that's very true is that the, the broader perspective of energy, and, and this is a massive rabbit hole we could jump down with, you know, where your energy comes from, is it petroleum-based, is it renewably-based, blah, 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 blah. That's, it's a huge rabbit hole. But one thing we can do is make batteries more efficient and uh, have them store more so we could take things like renewable energy energy where storage is a big deal. A good example of that is solar, right? The sun is not a 24-hour day uh, uh, phenomenon in, in most places around the earth uh, in any given time. So you need to be able to store the energy that you're, you're being able to capture from the sun when it's available. And if we could have big, thick, small, I'm sorry, big, long-lasting, but thin and small batteries uh, to power our devices, that's a pretty amazing thing. So um, I always click on an Elon Musk article that relates to batteries because I really think that the efforts that, that he's making there with the Tesla and then bring in all the other startups and, and people working on the battery issue, that's an important piece of, of, of uh, your tech savvy in, in 2018. Sounds good. Shall we Geek of the Weekend? Sure. Um, I'll start quickly. Uh, I just want to note something. It was almost news for me um, in regards to the podcast, but we've spoken um, – 
um, uh, uh, in the past about the Note to Self podcast from Anusha Summerodi's podcast at WNYC, and she announced last week that she is leaving uh, WNYC and starting up her own uh, own podcasting company. And details are sketchy at this point, um, but Jen Poignant, who I think was the executive producer of her podcast, and uh, uh, Manoush are leaving to start their own podcast called the Zigzag Podcast, and it's uh, the Zigzag Podcast may be kind of like startup on Gimlet Media in that they're going to talk about starting their own podcast company and there's a, a heavy overtone of entrepreneurship and in this case it would be a uh, women run and controlled and startup company which I think is 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 very exciting um, but I you know have a lot of admiration for Manoush Zimarodi I, I find her to be an important voice in 2018 when it comes to uh, loving technology but understanding there needs to be limits to it and, and then a smart thoughtful approach to that so her new podcast the Zigzag podcast which is uh, co-hosted by Jen Poignant, um, is starts tomorrow. So I've already downloaded or I've already subscribed to it on uh, Pocket Cast, which is my preferred podcast catcher, and I'm excited to hear it because I think if it's, um, you know, is even partially as as great as the, the promise of of those two uh, media producers, it's going to be something really special. So uh, information in the show notes, or you can just search for Zigzag Podcast. I believe that for sure it's in the Apple Podcast uh, directory, and I found it on Pocket Casts. Awesome. And I will, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, either abuse my co-host power or just overshare, but uh, three quick games of the week. Uh, one's for Peggy George, and shout out to both Peggy and Marta, who are in our chat room tonight. Uh, shout out for Classroom 2.0 Live, the last show of the year. It is this Saturday, June the 16th, and it is called Your Summer Bucket List. What is on it? And so I've got a link to that Google document, and it's an open mic show, so anybody can take the mic and talk about either summer professional development, books you're going to read, uh, certifications you're doing, just what kinds of things are you doing for your summer professional development. If you're not a frequent listener and participant in Classroom 2.0 Live, you definitely need to check that out on Saturday mornings, North America time. Uh, also a link to Make Media Camp. Uh, looks like that hopefully uh, we're going to pull off uh, four different sessions uh, the quickest ones would be in Seattle, but I've got, uh, I've had, thanks to Jason, some, uh, nice contacts and, and shooting to have a session at the end of the month, but I'm also going to try for one in Kansas City, in Oklahoma City, and then in the Dallas area. So you can check that out on Twitter at Make Media Camp. Uh, that's a one day, um, sort of cross platform version of the iPad Media Camp. And lastly, my shout out is to Jive Voice, which is a voice over IP cloud hosted phone system. For the last year, I've been working with our tech team to prepare for today. Today was the day we actually, you know, switched over, port, ported over our analog Mitel PRI lines, which were mid-1990s, and went over to the Cisco phone system, and it is a cloud-hosted so system provided by Jive. And so, anyway, it has been a a very hectic, um, not only week of getting those phones out and having to switch over today, um, but also just everything that is involved in getting that kind of thing set up for, for, uh, our, our, our school. So very happy with Jive and excited to be working with them and, uh, might report a little bit later on that, but those are the geeks of the week. And if you want to get to the articles we didn't talk about tonight, you can get to those as well on edtechsr.com slash links. Jason, where can we find you when you're not pontificating and sharing 
especially the Google goodness here on the EdTech situation. Uh, well, and I do pontificate a lot, actually. You should just ask my staff at the Digital Academy. So um, I am on the Twitters at Tech Savvy Teach. Um, I am also a blogger for the Northwest Council for Computer Education Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncc.org. And I'm continuing to work on a series of articles. Um, my free time has not... Uh, produced much yet because I, I keep getting excited by new projects, but I am working on some 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 interesting uh, new um, articles, and I'm I'm really trying to help spread the word that uh, particularly online learners, but I think any user of technology that you can take the simple tools in your life, and the one that I think about the most is the browser, and set it up to really make it a powerful tool in your life, and not just a passive uh, piece of software that that is 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 a window to the internet. It can really be something more than that. So look for that um, either by Twitter or at the NCC Tech Savvy Teacher blog. What about you, Wes? I am W. Fryer on Twitter. I'll be blowing up Twitter tomorrow at the Learning Festival with Carl Hooker down in Austin. And I am periodically posting podcasts on Speed of Creativity as well as some blogs. Excellent. Well, this here, um, for those of you that haven't figured it out yet, this is the EdTech Situation Room podcast, and we're here weekly um, on Wednesday nights. It is usually at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central, or I think we've decided it's uh, 3 a.m. UTC or may jump around with, with uh, um, the various time zone changes that happen in the United States. But if you don't catch us live, and we do tweet out at our Twitter channel, EdTechSR, about live shows, so you can jump into the chat room and, and chat with both hosts and our, our weekly guests there. You can always find us where better podcasts are aggregated, which includes the iTunes podcast directory, Pocket Cast, and in fact, the last three or four experimental apps I've downloaded on Android, uh, uh, we've appeared there. So just type in EdTechSR into your favorite podcast app and you can get it delivered to you each week. Or you can go to our website where you can download tiny MP3s of it if you prefer to listen to it that way. Or just look at our show notes, which we do spend a lot of time on each week so that you don't have to just trust our word for it. You can go to the original source and make judgments for yourself. Um, until next time, uh, we hope you have a great week. and We look forward to talking next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Thank you.